Our assigned gospel text today is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. And so the time has arrived, the time that I have been looking forward to for months. I've dreamed of it, I've planned for it. It is, of course, the opening of the new film version of West Side Story. (laughs) It opened on Friday. I haven't been yet, but I have my plan, and I'm so excited. I have always been a fan of musical theater. I know some people don't love it, Some people who are very dear to me and with whom I otherwise hold a lot in common can watch West Side Story and just find it ridiculous that gang members could be walking down the street one minute and twisting and leaping through Jerome Robbins' choreography in the next. Me, it works. I love it. To me, in a really fine musical like West Side Story, every note of a song and every movement of a dance comes out of the context of the character. And every character's context adds a new layer of context to the story. It's magic. So imagine how excited I was back in divinity school when my New Testament professor remarked that the Gospel of Luke opens like a musical. Have you ever noticed that? I never had. We tend to think that Luke begins with, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, but that is not how it starts. Read it for yourself after worship. 
The first one on stage is not Jesus. It's not John the Baptist. It's a narrator who explains why he wrote this story to set the record straight and then sets the time frame in the days of King Herod of Judea. So Luke opens not in action, but in context. Context is so important. Jesus was not born into a vacuum, but into a specific geographical setting, a certain political situation, and a distinct cultural framework. Not just Judaism, but Second Temple Judaism, which has its own very particular traditions, influences, and expectations. What Jesus does and how the people respond will be shaped by all of these contexts. And as characters come on stage in the Gospel of Luke, they express their individual context in the great tradition of musical theater by singing songs. Mary, after a visit from the angel Gabriel, sings about how God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Zechariah, upon the birth of his son John, sings about how God has kept promises to the people. Later, an old man named Simeon will cradle the infant Jesus in his arms and sing about how he can now depart in peace, having seen the light of salvation. All of this singing is layering context on context and meaning on meaning. Each character is answering the questions, who am I and what does the coming of the Messiah mean to me? We draw the answers from their songs. Mary's song reminds us that she depends on the mercy of others with more power than she, which especially now that she is an unmarried pregnant woman is almost everyone. The action that God has initiated will give new power to people like her. Zechariah's context is the long tradition of his ancestors, assailed by enemies, but always trusting in the promises of God. His own son's birth is a sign that his ancestors are not forgotten and his trust will be rewarded. Simeon is old and tired, and he knows by now how much of life is loss, and he is at peace with that. Out of that context, knowing that the Messiah has arrived, Zechariah can now say, my work here is done. And this is just the beginning of the story. All of these songs have been sung. All of these contexts, both general and individual, have been established. And the child Jesus has gone off stage to grow up when Zechariah's son, John, returns to the scene for the text that we read today. He has grown into a prophetic preacher, drawing crowds from all over Judea, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Excuse me. As a prophet, John comes out of the context of the wilderness. That is where he has been since chapter 1, verse 80. The child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day he appeared publicly in Israel. Remember, 
the wilderness in the Bible is not a tangle of greenery like you and I might imagine. It's a rocky desert. Imagine what John has seen there. Imagine the struggle he has known just to survive. When John comes out of that context preaching, he brings it. How many preachers do you know who would open with you brood of vipers? This is not a preacher who is concerned with the comfort of his congregation. This is a preacher whose context is challenge. Even now, he cries, the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, in our own very comfortable context, that is probably not what we would expect to hear from a preacher. So we may be surprised at the way the crowd responds, not with anger, not with high dudgeon, not with the assumption that John must be talking about somebody else besides them, but with eagerness, readily accepting that John is not only holding them accountable, but asking them to do something. They ask, what then should we do? And notice how specific are his answers. To the crowd in general, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. To those who make their living by collecting tolls or tariffs or customs fees, a system that was open to abuse and corruption, he says, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. To soldiers, local mercenaries who could easily line their pockets by threatening those that they were supposed to protect, John says, do not extort money from anyone by threats of false accusation. The central issue here is greed, but John's answers make it clear that greed can manifest in specific sins within specific contexts. And within each context, John offers a specific path to righteousness, saying, in effect, what you should do is specific to who you are. As are your opportunities for sin, so are your opportunities for repentance. Far from being angry or offended, the crowds by now are riveted, alive, and rumbling among them is a very important, very exciting question. Can this be the Messiah? Now, I find that a surprising question because I have so often heard about how the Jews of Jesus' day expected the Messiah to be a military victor, come to trounce the Romans. Why did John with his challenging preaching that demanded their repentance, strike the people as a likely Messiah. Because the context of that expected victory was righteousness. Read the Hebrew prophets. Read Isaiah condemning those who rob the poor, make widows their spoil, and orphans their prey. Read Micah forecasting doom for those who lie awake all night, plotting how to take lands and houses away from their neighbors just because they can? 
when the crowds around John the Baptist wonder if he's the Messiah, it is specifically because John has challenged them to works of justice. This is precisely what their context leads them to expect from the Lord's anointed one. They don't expect to be comforted by a Messiah. They expect to be held accountable. Now, this story of John's preaching in the book of Luke connects directly to the story of the early church in the book of Acts. It is very likely that one person wrote both of those books. And commentators have pointed out that what John tells people to do on the shores of the Jordan in Luke is exactly what the church learns to do as it is forming in Acts. As Fred Craddock points out, the injustices and inequities of the society in Acts are continuous with Luke's convictions about the social implications of the gospel. And addressing those injustices and inequities will be built into the life of the early church. As it says in Acts 2, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. The context out of which the church grew was the preaching of John the Baptist, which grew out of the context of John's years in the desert, which was a context of challenge. What then should we do? Now, every individual character in Acts will have their own context too. Who is Peter? And who is Stephen? And who is Saul? And who is Cornelius? And who is Lydia? And on and on and on. And what does God coming to each of them as Jesus Christ mean to each of them? What will God call each one to do? Each character's movement towards Christ will grow out of their own context. And each one's context will add a layer of meaning to the larger context which is the story of the body of Christ. Now that story, of course, goes on being told. And each of us is part of the telling. Your context adds meaning to the whole church's story. Your context determines how you move toward Christ, who holds you accountable according to who you are. And who you are will affect the answer to the question, what then should I do? We love the comforting sights and sounds of Christmas, but Advent comes out of a context of challenge. So let us be challenged, and let us respond each out of our own context. Who are you? And what does the coming of Messiah mean to you in this peculiar season, in this peculiar year? I can't tell you what you should do. I can only tell you that it matters what you do. What you do will be the notes of your own song, the steps of your own dance, all adding great beauty to the complicated orchestration and choreography that is the life of the church you, but I am so excited to see it. Amen.